Assalamu alaikum. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Islam Living History Team's presentation. This is a special edition from Jalsa Salana 2023. And today in this segment, we're going to talk about the international death as well as the background to the persecution of the Amdiya Muslim community. For this special edition, I have my friends here, Arif M with my co-host who's going to help me uh, discuss with our friends. Arif, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam, Dr. We've got uh, Munir Rafiq as well, a great scholar and a well-known figure in the Jamaat. Uh, Munir, welcome. Assalamu alaikum, but certainly not a scholar. <laughs> and of course, we've got uh, Walid as well, uh, who's well-known to the Voice of Islam listeners, uh, does his own uh, program. I think you were on early on, Walid, weren't you? Uh, yes, Salaam Yes, I was on uh, earlier with the Weekend World, uh, so that finished about so an hour ago. thank you, thank you for joining us, I appreciate it. As I said, uh, today is the third, the last, the final day of Jalsa Salana, and uh, very shortly, inshallah, we've got a very special ceremony, the International Earth Ceremony. This is where members of the Amdiya Muslim community who are here, uh, join together and take bath at the hand of Khalifatul Masih. Uh, and this is going to be televised all around the world and Ahmadis around the world will have the opportunity as well to renew their uh, pledge. Before discussing the relevance and importance of that, I just want to start off with uh, the word bath itself, uh, Arif, because our listeners may not know what it actually means. Can you just explain <coughs> what bath means? Yes, absolutely, Doc Sam. And I think it's very important uh, for people to understand uh, the meaning of uh, the word bed. So it's an Arabic term, and it means uh, pledge of allegiance or oath of allegiance. Um, and the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has explained that the objective and purpose of bed, uh, most eloquently he's explained this in one of his writings, um, and I'll just read um, from his writings. So the promised Messiah has written, the true object of Bayt is to acquire the spiritual knowledge, blessings and signs which bring about true repentance. The real purpose of Bayt is to willingly enslave oneself to the spiritual leader and guide and to acquire in exchange the knowledge, spiritual insight and blessings which help to fortify the faith and sharpen the spiritual wisdom and establish a pure relationship with God. And this is taken from his book, The Need for the Iman, Imam, on, on page 45. So he's given there a very succinct summary of uh, the meaning of bed and what its objective is. Now, in Islamic uh, history, the earliest uh, described use of uh, the word bed is its role in conversion to Islam and in the testimony of faith. The method of taking the bed is outlined in the Holy Quran. The Holy Prophet a peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Muhammad, was commanded that if anyone wished to take the bath, they should take, and I quote, the oath of allegiance at thy hands, that they will not associate anything with Allah, and that they will not steal, and will not commit adultery, nor kill their children, nor bring forth a scandalous charge, which they themselves have deliberately forged, no disobey thee in what is right. This is Surah al mutahina uh, chapter 60, verse 13. So, Munir, clearly the foundations are laid within early Islam. So take us through uh, the Prophet's period and what happened afterwards. So I think uh, we could never underestimate the um, magnitude of the event. I mean, the death of the Holy Prophet 
Um, this was a new community. Um, the death of the Holy Prophet and this succession, the whole um, idea of going from being led by um, the Prophet of Islam to having successors to the Prophet of Islam was was something that you know it, it was a major event in the the, the uh, as it were the early um, life of the um, uh, small community of Muslims and the fact that we have this bad um, ceremony is essentially an opportunity for us to renew um, our faith our oath of allegiance to the successor um, to the Holy Prophet and that's why um, it, it, it holds great significance uh, and quite rightly uh, within the Ahmadiyya Jamaat um, we have uh, focused on this uh, and make a point of um, marking this event the, the, the whole um, uh, you know, uh, renewal of of our vows of allegiance to the the, the Khalifa. Because the early period where Hazrat Abu Bakr yep. was uh, elected as the first Caliph was monumental, wasn't it? It was. And I think he really uh, laid the direction. Um, Karen Armstrong, in one of her books, I think, gives a lovely quote. Do you want to uh, um, just uh, uh, certainly? Yeah. Uh, oh, people. I have indeed been appointed over you, though I am not the best among you. Obey me so long as I obey Allah and his messenger. If I disobey them, then you have no obligation to follow me. I mean, this was really quite an amazing uh, time for uh, Islam. And clearly, he was one of the deepest loved people of the Holy Prophet as well, uh, Abu Bakr. But uh, look at his humility in being chosen as the leader and the obligations that he had. Now, in relation to the current uh, age and the revival of Islam by the appointed promised Messiah and Mahdi al-Islam, uh, that the Holy Prophet of Islam instructed Muslims in these words, and I quote, when you find the Mahdi perform bath at his hand, you must go to him, even if you have to reach him across ice-bound mountains, crawling on your knees. He is um, basically uh, just reminding us of the importance uh, of going to do the bath of the He is the Mahdi and the Caliph of Allah. Uh, this is in Sunan Ibn Majah. Um, Kitpul Fitan, Volume 2, page 1367. So th th this is really the guidance for all Muslims for the latter days uh, of this stage. Um, Arif? Uh, yes, I just want to just uh, just follow on from that and, and what Manisab said as well about uh, uh, the first bed in the Ahmadi Muslim community. So under divine commandment, the promised Messiah, he took the first bed on the 23rd of March, 1889. So this is a historic event, in effect, the, the foundation, the, the, the beginning of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And on that particular day, there were 40 fortunate people who took the bed at the hand uh, of the promised Messiah. And the words that they, they said uh, are as follows. I'll, I'll read what they said. So they all said, I repent today at the hand of Ahmad all of the sins and bad habits to which I was addicted. And most truthfully and solemnly do I promise that to the last day of my life, I shall eschew to the best of my ability all manner of sin. I will hold my faith above all worldly considerations. I shall try as far as I can to observe the 10 conditions of bed laid down 
in the leaflet dated 12th of January 1889 and I seek forgiveness of God for my past sins and that's something that today uh, in the next few minutes when the international bed is being uh, performed that all of the Ahmadi Muslims will be saying something very very similar to this um, as part of the uh, renewal of their faith and as part of their bed. I mean, similarly, in uh, May 1908, following the demise of the promised Messiah, the first uh, Caliph, Khalifatul Masih the first, as Nuruddin, as Yalano, issued an admonition to those wishing to offer their bed at his hand as well. And again, his guidance here is very, very important. I think it's worth quoting uh, that as well. Uh, would you do that? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's um, significant that he was also um, reiterating um, the significance and importance of the bath, that it wasn't simply a form of words. Um, so he says, if you want to do bath at my hand, be very clear about what bath means. It means to sell yourselves. A man eschews everything, and that is why Allah has called his servant Abd. In other words, one who worships. So whatever feelings and inclinations you have, you have to follow what I say. And if you accept these conditions, then, in the name of Allah, I accept these responsibilities. And this is from Hasnati Ahmad, um, written by Hakim, uh, Hazrat Hakim Nuruddin. So this gives uh, the listeners some uh, background to the importance of the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance, which is so important and in in a sense goes to the core of why members also attend these jalsas regularly every year. If I, interestingly, um, uh, the, in, the first international bath took place on 1st of August uh, 1993 here in the UK. And we leave the, I mean, that's the sort of interesting phase, uh, isn't it, for the Amdiya Muslim community? Because prior to that, obviously, when the Khalifa passed away, the pledge was renewed, etc. But this time, it became part and parcel of the Jalsa ceremony as well. If you want to take us through that important period. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, certainly. I mean, this is a very historic event, and it's become a part and parcel of uh, the Jalsas ever since. Uh, once, uh, you know, when the members entered the Jamaat, and uh, second, when a new Khalifa took the office of Khalafat, that is basically what used to happen in terms of that. That's the time that uh, members would uh, take the allegiance. But with the introduction of the international baths in August 1993, like you mentioned, this was done then annually at the uh, the annual uh, convention, the Jalsa. The gist of the pledge was and remains to be a simple confirmation, uh, and that's also also been alluded to by by uh, Araf, that a person who wants to enter the Hamdi Muslim Jamaat will follow the word of God, will not harm any uh, living being through the actions, words, or thoughts, and refrain refrain from all moral and social ills. In addition, they will follow the appointed Khalifa in all things good. It's interesting because uh, Khalifa al-Masih, uh, the fourth, uh, when he had migrated to the UK, he was reminded um, of uh, the promised Messiah's uh, drive to have uh, new members joining and he had a figure of 400,000 at one stage that uh, were members of the Amdi Muslim community and this triggered a thought in his mind if you want to take us through really the, uh, how many in the first uh, um, uh, birth actually mm. uh, joined the Amdi Muslim community and then we will deal with what's been happening subsequently. Well since the migration of uh, the Khilafat to London 
1984, 250,000 people had entered the fort of Ahmadiyyat. And uh, the wish of uh, Hazur's uh, became uh, intense that if another 150,000 joined the fort of Ahmadiyyat that year, I would have the honor of resemblance with the promised Messiah, peace upon him. Thus he started praying and he issued a target of 150,000 new baths to all missions in the world and started praying for 200,000 new religious souls. Uh, that was really quite an amazing uh, period uh, for the community. And then interestingly, on the 1st of August 1993, which is the third day of the Jalsa Salana, and that's when, as I mentioned earlier, the International Bear takes place. Um, at that Jalsa, which was held in Islamabad, which is nearby in Hampshire, yes. uh, in Tilford, Surrey, um, 204,308 people from all around the world entered the fold of the Amdiya Muslim Jamaat. Millions of uh, Ahmadi Muslims from around the world joined in large gatherings where um, uh, live satellite transmission of the event on MTA as well. Um, so, Arif, uh, really quite, quite a historic moment for the community. Absolutely. It was a very, very blessed day uh, and something that was very new for everybody that went to Jolsa. So on that blessed day, people... I think, Arif, we'll probably cover this period after the break because we're going to break for the one o'clock news and then deal with this historic uh, moment, if that's all right. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. We were just talking um, uh, about the blessed occasion when Azur got all those bats of over 200,000 uh, people. And I say really quite a historic moment for the community. Absolutely. So just to reiterate, on the 1st of August 1993, which was the third day of the Jalsa Salana, uh, people sat in accordance with the instructions that they were given. And five people, each of whom were representing uh, a continent of the world, they were seated in front of Azur. And all of the people who were attending, they were seated behind them. And everybody was joined together in unison by placing their right hand on the shoulder of the person in front of them, with those first five people uh, placing their hand under the hand of Khalif al-Masih. And in a symbolic likeness, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih IV, he also wore the green coat of the Promised Messiah, and he spoke to the eager audience about the significance of the event and then proceeded to take the pledge. And anybody that was there, we think we were all lucky to have been there. So this is probably a good place to have a break because uh, live right now, Hazur is uh, arriving into the main marquee where he's going to lead the international pledge. And we're going to play you a short documentary that will again take you through the international bat. So enjoy it and we'll join you in the second part and talk about the persecution of the Amdi Muslim community and why it was a great blessing for beloved Azur to be here in the UK leading these international bats and the Jalsa programs as well. So enjoy the documentary. On the 1st of December 1888, the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mazar Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace, published an announcement that God had, had ordained him that whomsoever seeks true faith and piety should take bet, meaning the pledge of allegiance to him, so that Allah may shower his mercy and beneficence on them. A month later, on the 12th of January, 1889, he then published a pamphlet in which he laid down ten conditions of bet, 
meaning the Pledge of Allegiance for the initiations into the community. And in this pamphlet, he made it known that anyone who wishes to enter into the covenant of allegiance should swear on the following from the core of his heart. And these were ten, basically, ten points or ten conditions. Number one, the initiate shall solemnly promise that he or she shall abstain from shirk, meaning associating any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Number two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief, and rebellion, and that he or she will not permit herself or himself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. Number three, that he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon him, and shall try his or her best to the to be regular in offering the tahajjat, meaning the pre-morning prayer, and invoking durood, salutations, on the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for his or her sins, to remember the bounties of God, and to praise and glorify him. Number four, that under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of God in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, hands, nor any other means. Number five, that he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and in happiness, in adversity and in prosperity, in felicity and in trial and that he or she shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of God and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way and shall never turn away from him at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. Number six. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations, and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Qur'an, and that he or she shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his or her guiding principles in every walk of their life. Number seven, that he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity, and shall pass all of his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance, and meekness. Number eight, that he or she shall hold faith, the honor of faith and the cause of Islam dearer than his or her life, wealth, honor, children and all loved ones. Number nine, that he or she shall keep himself or herself occupied in the service of God's creatures for his sake only, and shall endeavor towards the beneficence of mankind to the best of his or her God-given abilities and powers. And lastly, number 10, that he or she shall enter into a bond of brotherhood with this humble servant of God, pledging obedience to me in everything good for the sake of God, and remain faithful to it until the day of his or her death, that he or she shall exert such a high devotion in the observance of this bond as it is not to be found in any other worldly relationship and connection that demand 
devoted dutifulness. So these were the ten conditions laid out by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace. Before we get into the details with our guests here in the studio of what all this means, I would like to mention that this system of bayt, this Pledge of Allegiance, actually goes back a little bit further than 1889. Well, not a little bit, but quite a lot. All the way back to the time of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon him. So let me just quickly run through that. In the year 619 CE, the Prophet of Islam goes to Taif, which was a city um, in Arabia, to spread the message of Islam. And long story short, he was rejected by the people there and driven out of Taif. And then the Hajj, the pilgrimage, approaches and he continues to spread the message of Islam to the pilgrims that come to Mecca. Some listen, some don't. Some he can approach and to some um, um, you know, he, he, he's not able to because they are warned by the Meccans and ushered away by them. Don't listen to him. He's a madman. So during all this, he comes across a group of six or seven people in the valley of Mina. He found that they belonged to the Khazraj tribe, uh, which was a tribe in Medina, which was in alliance with the Jews. He asked them if they would listen to what he had to say. They had heard of him and were interested, so they agreed. So the Prophet spent some time telling them that the kingdom of God was at hand, that idols were going to disappear, that the idea of one God was due to triumph and, and piety and purity were once again going to rule. And he asked them, would the people in Medina welcome that message? That group was actually quite impressed. So they accepted the message and promised on their return to Medina that they would speak to others and report the next year whether you know Medina would be willing to receive Muslim refugees from Mecca or not. So they bent back and did exactly what they said. Let's fast forward one more year. At the next Hajj, the next pilgrimage, twelve men from the Medina came to from from Medina came to Mecca to join the Prophet of Islam. Ten of these belonged to one tribe with the Khazraj, and two to another tribe, the Aus. So they met the Prophet again in the Valley of Mina, and holding the Prophet's hand, solemnly declared their belief in the oneness of God and their resolve to abstain from all common evils, from you know, infanticide, from, from, from making false accusations against one another, etc. And they also resolved to obey the Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in all good things. Now this group also went back. But they asked the Prophet of Islam that, you know, we don't really have much knowledge of what Islam actually is. So if you could send us someone who, who could teach us. So here comes um, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, a very young companion at that time, um, Hazrat Musab, may Allah be pleased with him. And he is considered to be the first missionary of Islam uh, in the history of Islam ever. So the Prophet sends him to Medina to teach the people about what exactly Islam is, what exactly um, they have accepted, basically. And things start to change in Medina. You see idols were being thrown out of houses, heads stopped bowing before images, and 
the word started to spread very rapidly and quickly. And now we fast forward another year. The third Hajj, the third pilgrimage arrives. Among the pilgrims from Medina was a large party of Muslims this year. Owing to Meccan opposition, these Muslims from Medina wished to see the Prophet on whom be peace in private. The Prophet's own thoughts were turning more and more to Medina as a likely place for migration. Because remember, there's a lot of opposition, there's a lot of hostility against the Prophet of Islam in Mecca. So he mentions this to his closest friends and relatives, but you know they try to dissuade him from all thoughts of this kind. And saying that although Mecca was full of opposition, it offered the support of several influential you know, relations. The prospects at Medina were quite uncertain, and, and should Medina prove as hostile as Mecca, would the Prophet's Meccan relations be able to help? So one night, after midnight, the Prophet of Islam again met the Muslims from Medina in the valley of Aqaba this time. His uncle, Hazrat Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, was with the Prophet. The Muslims from Medina numbered 73, out of whom 62 belonged to the Khazraj tribe and 11 to the Aus. And the party included two women as well, one being Ummi Amara, uh, may Allah be pleased with her, of the Banu Najjar. And they had been taught Islam by, as I said, the first missionary ever to be sent to uh, to any place, and th- in this case Medina, Hazrat Musab, may Allah be pleased with him. And boy, were they full of faith and determination and zeal. And later on, if you read the history of Islam, some of these early Muslims, they... Ex- I mean, they they laid their faith, uh, or they laid their lives, um, uh, for the sake of, of of their faith down. So this party of Medina Muslims, in short, they um, attained to great distinction for their loyalty and faith. They came to Mecca not for wealth but for faith, and and they had it in abundance, being with the Prophet of Islam. Uh, moved by family ties and feeling legitimately responsible for the safety of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. His uncle, Hazrat Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, thus addressed the party and said, O Khazraj, this my relation is respected here by his people. They're not all Muslims, yet they protect him. But he has chosen now to leave us and go to you. O Khazraj, do you know what will happen? All Arabia will be against you. If you realize the risks entailed by your invitation, then take him away. If you do not, then give up your intention and let him stay here. The leader of this party from from Medina, Hazrat al-Bara, may Allah be pleased with him, replied very firmly and assuredly, We have heard you. Our resolution is firm. Our lives are at the, uh, at the disposal of the Prophet of God. We are decided and only await his decision. Upon this, the Prophet gave a further exposition of Islam and its teachings. And explaining this, he told the party that he would go to Medina if they would hold Islam as dear as they held their wives and children. He wasn't quite finished when this party of 73 devotees cried yes yes 
in one voice. And their zeal, they forgot that they could be overheard. Again, remember, this is all being done in secret. So, Hazrat Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, cautioned them to speak low. But, I mean, look, the, the, the party was full of faith. They were, you know, overcome with emotions. Death now was nothing in their eyes. And when Hazrat Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, cautioned the party, one of them said aloud, we are not afraid, O Prophet of God. Permit us and we can deal with the Meccans right now and avenge the wrongs they have done to you. But, as we know, the Prophet of Islam said that he had not yet been commanded to fight. So the party then took the oath of allegiance and the meeting dispersed. So 1889, when the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, starts with this pledge of allegiance it's not a new phenomenon it's not something which was introduced by him for the first time again everything that the community does every aspect of the community is rooted deeply in the teachings of the holy quran in the practice of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and in the islamic religion Having said that, uh, we're going to delve a little bit more into detail about what this institution, this pledge actually means. Here with me to help me a little bit more on this topic is Imam Faiz Nasser. Assalamu alaikum, Imam Faiz Nasser, and Jazakallah for, for joining us today. Jazakallah, thank you very much for having me, and wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you too. What exactly, let's get right into it, what exactly is this word bat if you can explain it for our listeners what's what's the meaning of it yeah so the bat uh, the word bat literally means to uh, sell your life sell yourself to allah the almighty but before we get into uh, talking about the word bat and you know the whole concept of bat i have a quote of uh, the promised messiah uh, may peace be upon him uh, and I quote, and he says in Malfuzat, uh, volume 6, page 173, and I quote, Bet truly means to sell oneself. Its blessing and impact are based on that condition. Just as a seed is sown into the ground, its original condition is that the hand of the farmer has sown it, but it is not known what will happen to it. If the seed is of good quality and possesses the capacity to grow, then with the grace of Allah the Almighty, and as a consequence of the work done by the farmer, it grows until one grain turns into a thousand grains. Similarly, the person taking bath has to first adopt lowliness and humility and has to distance himself from, from his ego and selfishness. Then that person becomes fit for growth. But he who con continues to hold onto his ego along with taking bath will never receive any grace. And like I mentioned before, this is from Al-Fuzat, volume uh, 6, page 173. And it, the Prophet has clearly mentioned or explained what bad is and what is required from an individual mm -hmm. who's who's going through um, so, the bad. Yeah. So from, from, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's it's the first step on your on your spiritual journey basically yeah yeah you're you're handing yourself your soul over to god almighty and this is not just something um you're not selling yourself like in worldly terms as we no might of understand. course not. this is yeah. this is you handing yourself over to your creator yeah 
Uh, the Prophet has clearly given us an example, um, just as you know, when a farmer plants a seed mm. into the ground, not knowing whether that seed will even grow. Yeah. Um, but you know, he still has some sort of faith yeah, yeah. into into God and into that seed. That okay, my first step is that I have to plant the seed. Yeah. So in the same way, uh, for us planting the seed is that we have to get our mindset straight. Yeah. And we need to understand when we're taking bath, why we're actually taking it. And the whole concept of that is to to sell yourself to Allah the Almighty in terms of making a promise to Allah the Almighty mm. that whatever conditions or whatever your command commandments are, mm. uh, I will um you know adhere up, to them. Yeah, up to my best of my and, abilities. And the ten conditions and that the, we read. That's out. that's exactly where the ten conditions of bad come from. And uh, again, uh, people may think or people may say that um you know the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, has has created these ten conditions. But if you yeah. read through them yeah. uh, properly with understanding um, then you'll see that they are no different to what the Holy Prophet sallallahu made the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him had had told the Muslims or his yeah. companions fourteen hundred years ago. Well, it's I the same same thing, yeah. yeah, like you mentioned in the beginning of the program. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Now, um, uh, you know, we want to move on very quickly to to today's day and age and 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 how this pledge is. Uh, carried out and how this whole ceremony plays out today but before that I want to ask you so I mentioned at the beginning also the dates what was it looking at 1888 1889 Mm -hmm. Um, why why did it take so long for him to actually start this 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 uh, this pledge so you know whenever like we've seen uh, into history uh, whenever there's a prophet or whenever a prophet um, comes Mm -hmm. there is nothing that the prophet does with his own understanding, I mean, of course, he, he Out of was his own accord. Uh, yes, yeah. he doesn't take any decisions into hand mm. unless they are told and instructed and guided by Allah the Almighty. There are certain things that they don't do or say, mm. right? In the same way, we see that the promised Messiah, Rasulullah Sallam, may peace be upon him, had had uh, taken so long because the commandment of Allah wasn't there. Yeah, so. I remember when I was reading through um, this particular question, um, I came across a, a companion whose name was Hazrat Sufi Ahmad Jan Sahib. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him, um, who was the companion of the Promised Messiah, may peace be upon him. And um, he'd actually asked the Promised Messiah at one point mm. um, if the Promised Messiah could take the Pledge of uh, you know, Allegiance and whether he could take the Pledge at the hands mm. of, the, of of the promised Messiah. Now, the promised Messiah at that time told him that I, I, I'm not going to do that because Allah Ta'ala has not commanded me yeah. to do so, right? And that's the, that's the same answer that I'm trying to... Um, for example, if you look at the time of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there's an example. Uh, Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, the Muslims used to drink. There was a time mm. where the Muslims mm. used to drink alcohol. Um, Arabs used to uh, Arabs used to yeah. well yeah Arabs used to drink and even before even, the commandment was revealed basically well yes, I mean yeah. Islam had Islam existed at the time when yeah, when yeah. the companions used to drink but when the commandment came from Allah the Almighty and you know the injunction came into the Holy Quran um, 
he told his companions and the companions obeyed hmm. and most of them they they even uh, broke their um the drugs the drugs that they were they were saving so, or yeah. holding the the alcohol in so that's in the same way or or the fighting one i'm i'm thinking of because you know the opposition grew so much yeah. and then you know people were wondering oh prophet of allah why 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 are we not doing anything why why we can why can't we fight back yeah and that was exactly the it's the same yeah, thing i have not been commanded so by God yet. when the commandment wasn't there the pro- pro- the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam made the peace and blessings of allah be upon him didn't stop them yeah but when the commandment came then he he told them and yeah. then he stopped them Wonderful. and they also <coughs> obeyed and that's the same thing when the commandment came for like you're saying in terms of war when they were asked uh when 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 they received the commandment that they can go out and they can defend themselves yeah. then all the muslims they they you know they came out yeah. of the, they came out and they fought the battles wonderful thank you very much for that now let's come to the annual convention as we mentioned that this uh at every year at the annual convention here in the uk and now even at other conventions around the world Germany, America and wherever his holiness goes you have this this bad ceremony this pledge of allegiance this this international bad ceremony here in the UK specifically because this is a un- universe like a un- international gathering um how does that look like for someone who's not there for someone who has never seen it for someone who's hearing it for the first time Yeah. Describe to us what actually goes on. So basically, just imagine a a football pitch. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a marquee mm-hmm. which is a little bit bigger than the actual football eleven side football football pitch. So the marquee is roughly one forty by fifty, and uh, imagine the marquee is full with people, mm-hmm. and uh, at the at the front of the marquee, um, where His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad the current. Uh, worldwide head of the Amdi Muslim community he sits down and um th- the people who are right in front of him they sort of uh have the opportunity or the honor of you know pledging allegiance at his hands and everyone behind you know so those everyone has their shoulder um at their hands on the shoulder of the person in front of mm-hmm. them so it's like a it's like a chain system mm-hmm. which sort of starts where his holiness is sitting yeah. to all the way to the end of the marquee and not just till the end of the marquee rather the the chains they sort of flow out of the marquee yeah. and there's people you know thousands and thousands of people sitting inside and outside of the marquee um you know having their hands or somehow physically being in in connection with his holiness and they repeat the words of the of the pledge mm-hmm. um you know after his holiness and um it's it's a it's a very emotional yeah. and a uh, very sentimental moment where uh, you sort of make a promise you know to allah the almighty that um you know i'm going to try my level best to but, but sorry before that <laughs> you actually you actually admit to your yeah, sins. Exactly. Isn't isn't that I mean the first step that you you admit and you say that oh god I have wronged my soul. Yeah. I have committed sins. I have been you know this and that and you're the one who's going to forgive. Yeah. Me. There's and no if one you else. don't do it then the, I'm going to be I'm the, I'm going to you know there's nothing going to be left of me. There's no I, one to there's forgive. There's no one to that. forgive me and there's nowhere I can go to. And that's uh, that's actually um 
you know the end part of the bath ceremony yeah. where at the beginning you sort of recite um the the words that Hazur is uh, you know saying and like I'm just getting goosebumps talking about it yeah. but the, they they not they're not just you know we're not just uttering those words yeah. those words are so powerful and so meaningful that when you repeat them it it, it quenches like you know it your ego your ego and, and it destroys yeah. like um you know you, like the promised messiah said you have to be you have to kill your ego and you have to be a very humble yeah. and it really humbles you and it brings you down to earth and when you repeat those words you actually think about what you're saying and yeah, yeah. it's coming out of your heart and it can it can it can you know really hmm. tear you apart um <clears throat> and that's why you see uh so many people you know they they go through a lot of sentiments and they get emotional yeah. and they cry and and especially straight after the pledge of allegiance when you like you said you repeat the words astaghfirullah rabbi min kulli dhanbi wa atubu ilayh which means oh allah um, pardon me for my sins um obviously if you don't pardon me then you yeah. know no, nobody else will and you go into a a, a prostration which yeah. is called a sajda shukr a prostration of sort right. of thanking Thanks. allah yeah. that he had given us this opportunity to be part of this pledge and you know um in that sajda shukr uh, what people generally ask allah is that look allah we've done this wholeheartedly mm. and we've pledged allegiance to you now you sort of help us and support us to make sure that we are able to fulfill this promise that we have made because obviously uh, without allah's help it's it becomes very difficult in this day and age in in this society in this world that we're living in um to sort of you know hmm. obey abide by every single uh commandment there is and that's why it's very emotional um but yeah it's uh, for those people who 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 I may not have done justice to sort of explaining what the atmosphere is like and uh to be honest with you I don't think anyone could sort of yeah. explain the feelings you that have we, to be there. you have to be there <clears throat> but if you do wish to sort of see it you can go to our um uh, uh alislam.org mm. and uh you can just write the word bet or the bet ceremony or pledge of allegiance of the Andalusian Muslim community and you can actually see videos yeah. from the past years um and you know you can see for yourself i mean videos also don't do justice to what a real life mm. uh you know scenes are but uh, at the least you'll be able you, to get a get better idea. understanding yeah, on, yeah. on on what it looks like and how it t- sort of takes and place the, and the truly wonderful thing is that once his holiness has repeated the word so it's bit by bit it is translated into all the different the languages, languages that yeah. are present at the at this convention yeah. and we know and you've heard the programs over the pa- uh, over the you know you hear the programs over the three yeah. uh, days of broadcast that we do here at the voice of Islam of this convention that you have people from from all parts of of the world yeah. to, yeah. especially this year after the restrictions have been lifted after four years I mean, it's open to everyone. Yeah. And we've seen I mean, people from M- far and wide. MT International is now translating in 24 languages. That is amazing. And at at the Jalsa convention, when the bear takes place, I, uh, there are some more languages that yeah, are added, added to, to those 24. Yeah. 
So we can go on and on and on, but um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Do stay tuned to find out more about this topic. As I said, the third day of the annual convention of the Amdiomus community is the day where this pledge with this you know bet ceremony happens. We want to conclude this program with a quote of the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, Mr. Ghulam, Ahmed and Humbi, peace himself. He says, to take bad, to take this pledge, means handing over your life to Almighty Allah. It means, today we have sold our life to Almighty Allah. It is wrong to say that, but treading the path of Allah, anybody would ultimately suffer a loss. The truthful can never be in a state of loss. Only he who is false, i.e. who, for worldly gain, breaks the pledge that he has made with God, suffers loss. One who commits such an action because of the fear of the world should remember that at the time of his death, no no ruler or king of this world would come to procure his release. He has to present himself to the judge of all the judges, who will inquire of him, Why did you not honor me? Therefore, it is essential for all the believers to believe in Allah, who is the king of the heavens and the earth, and to make a true repentance. Thank you very much for listening. Assalamu alaikum. So, Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to this special edition uh, with the Living History team. Uh, in the early part of the program, we talked about the international birth, its importance, uh, and what birth is, why it's important, and in particular, the importance of the international birth with uh, the caliphate of the Andhya Muslim community leaving Pakistan and coming to the UK. And interestingly, in 1984, when Khalifa al-Masir Rabi, the fourth caliph, migrated to the UK, uh, Ziaul Haq and the authorities in Pakistan thought, that's it, this is the death knell, you know, and the, and the Muslim community, that we're going to get rid of this problem once and for all. But um, as listeners will have heard during this Jalsa, just this year over 217,000 new Ahmadis joined the fold. And every year, you know, hundreds of thousands of families have been joining and the Jamaat now spread throughout the corners of the world, over 200 uh, plus uh, countries uh, as well in many million uh, families. So in this part of the program, I'm going to trace back of how the persecution of the Ahmadis started and how we arrived to the migration of the Caliph from uh, Pakistan. Because remembering, Munir, that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community played a prominent role in the creation of Pakistan. But sadly, after uh, the creation of Pakistan in the 50s, some of the agitation started against the Ahmadis. Just take us through that period and what happened. So you're quite right. I mean, the Ahmadiyya uh, community had a prominent role in the creation of Pakistan. You had people like uh, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Sani, who was um, active uh, in terms of politics in, in the sense that he took a very clear stand that he supported the partition um, of, uh, of India-Pakistan and he supported the idea of uh, Pakistan uh, and he made it very clear that the Jamaat would migrate to Pakistan. So it was in effect because it's important to remember that at that time within the Muslim community there were those voices who were against partition. There were those who, um, you know, like Molana Azad and others, who basically argued, no, we should stay with Congress, we should stay within India. Um, but he took a very clear stance, and we were very pro-Pakistan right from that early stage. Um, In fact, Jinnah appointed Sir Zafrullah Khan Saab as the first foreign minister, yeah? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Qaidi Azam, he, he didn't hesitate. He recognized talent. I mean, he, not only did he appoint him um, the first foreign minister of Pakistan, but when it came to the Boundary Commission, 
uh, and representing the Pakistani position in terms of the uh, uh, demarcation of the boundary in or division um, of the Punjab, um, he asked Joy Saab to fight that case and he went and uh, appeared before the Boundary Commission and argued for three days um, the uh, Pakistan's uh, position so that Pakistan would get a fair um, division um, and award uh, as far as uh, the division of Punjab was concerned. So we always had this very prominent uh, role within not only the early days uh, before partition, in the in the build-up to partition, but certainly when uh, Pakistan was created. In fact, the early phase of Pakistan, apart from Chaudhry Saab, MMM, do you want to comment on I mean, the prominent figure in shaping Pakistan's finances? I, absolutely. I mean, he was essentially um, the foreign minister. I mean, his signature would appear on Pakistani rupee notes. Rupee yeah. notes. Uh, as I, I lived in Pakistan, I was a, a student, and the pride I felt when I would hear um, MMM Ahmad Saab uh, read the budget mm. uh, that would be broadcast on the radio, mm. uh, on TV, uh, as he presented the budget. So a significant figure in terms of um, not only the civil service, there were other very senior uh, civil servants, but in the military, and remember in a country like Pakistan, the military play a very significant role. So when um, Air Marshal Zaf uh, Zafar Chaudhry Saab, he became the Commander-in-Chief of the Pakistan Air Force, uh, and in terms of the military, we had very prominent Ahmadis who not only were outstanding in rank, but they actually performed brilliantly on the battlefield. The only um, uh, general in the Pakistan army who died on the battlefield, mm. the only general uh, was General Iftikhar Janjua in the 71 war. Um, general uh, Akhtar Hussain Malik, I mean, had he, if he had not been um, removed, uh, at the point where he was about to capture Akhnur, we would have got Kashmir. And, and that's accepted um, by many non amadi senior civil servants and other generals who all recognized that Akhtar Hussain had not been removed. And he was, why was he removed? He was removed because Ayub did not want him to have um, the credit of um, capturing uh, Kashmir. I mean, you, you you know point to some very interesting figures as well in their role. And Walid, uh, just coming to yourself, mm. um, during General Ayub's time, I know a lot of people criticize his um, period as well, but there were some uh, positive aspects. But unfortunately, it was around that period in the 50s, 53, 54, when some of the earliest major agitations against them, the Muslim community, started. Do you want to just take us through that period and what happened? Uh, this is during uh, Ayub Khan's? Yeah, yeah, and, and um, uh, uh, the, who was prior to Ayub? Uh, uh, Khwaja Nazmuddin. So yeah. the 53 riots took place when uh, Khwaja Nazmuddin was the Prime Minister. Right, it, so, it so, so in the early 50s when the Munir yeah. report and all that was commissioned? Yeah, the 53 so, riots. So, so he, he was actually the governing uh, man. But mm -hmm. um, just take us through that period, the agitations. Well, I am um, I don't know much about that particular period, but I know what followed uh, in 19. I mean, a lot of people at that stage when they were criticizing Chaudhry Saab's role in prominence, etc., especially in the Punjab, weren't they? And, uh, they, they, they I think it was him. an agitation that came yeah. about um, purely, it arose from the Punjab. Mia Mumtaz Doltana. That's uh, right, that he, was the figure, he, yeah. He, he was the uh, chief minister of the Punjab. Yeah. And he kind of made a political decision that he would ally himself with the Majlis e Ahrar, and he thought yeah. that that would give him some um, sort of essentially a catalyst to become a national figure. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it failed. It led to riots, 
uh, principle is the first martial law that was declared in Pakistan was well, in was Punjab. you been charged when the martial law was announced? I'm no, just trying it wasn't. to so he, he was still quite an asm. It's really important. But as I, as I remember, the, but that was the first major agitation. Houses were burnt down and the community was damaged. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a terrible time, particularly in the Punjab. Luckily, it wasn't replicated in the other three provinces. Yeah. There, there was um, an incident uh, in Quetta where uh, Major Mahmoud's uh, Saab Shaheed, he, he, he was killed when there was a, a minor riot. But principally, these riots took place um, in the Punjab. But the, the point was that at that time, you had people like General Azam who imposed the, the martial law. Ah, that's the And one. General okay. Azam, um, he was absolutely rigorous in basically deciding, well, this, you know, I am going to impose law and order. Yeah. Uh, and he crushed any kind of, uh, you know, he brought law and order in the Punjab. Uh, then and that was a really positive move. And I, mean, if I so. think uh, that was the stage when this Munir Commission, a lot of people talk about, uh, um, that was uh, uh, yeah. set up as well. These were uh, senior judges, Munir uh, so Kayani and um, Justice Munir. Justice yeah, he, he, yeah, he was the chief justice. And, and ju they went into detail of what triggered and all the role the religious communities played again. Uh, and how the Amdi Muslim was vindicated, really. But to this day, the Munir inquiry report, the actual report, which we, you, can, you can obtain uh, um, from publishers, it's still written and it's still referred to because that was one of the most impartial. Mm. We also recognized um, Justice Munir, Justice Kiani, those, those were the two individuals who sat in judgment. They, and the great thing was that they asked all the non Ahmadis the heads and leaders and the question he put to them was very simple okay you define a Muslim and the remarkable thing was each one of them defined it differently and each one decided that if I'm a Barelvi then the Obandi is not an, uh, a Muslim so they they all took different stances and that's something that he highlighted um, in the report. It's interesting that the Shah of Iran, Raza Shah Pelvi, when he came to Pakistan, um, he actually, um, the, you know, just as many writes in his biography, that uh, he said to him, by the way, I've got a copy of your report. It's an outstanding report, and I find it very useful in terms of sectarianism and how to deal with sectarianism. I think that was a landmark, was. Uh, really. Uh, and uh, Pakistan could have gone in a different direction if they'd followed through, yeah. but unfortunately they didn't. And Arif, sadly, um, although things subsided for a little while, but uh, the underlying problems were still there. And then we had the charismatic uh, figure of uh, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto coming forward initially through the People's Party. But unfortunately, you know, it took a wrong direction as well. Do you just want to cover that period briefly? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also important to remember, um, although I personally wasn't there or experienced it, that uh, actually the Jamaat was very friendly and had good relations uh, with Zulfi. Well, he represented really uh, a good vision, a yeah. positive vision yeah. of yeah. helping the poor people and development of Pakistan and all that. You're absolutely right. And so. I think Jamaat actually was, was supporting him. But obviously, once you become prime minister, once you have the power, and once you want to try and uh, uh, please people. So he, he, he came up with the, uh, the idea, uh, whether this was from people around him, to declare the, non to declare the Ahmadis as non-Muslim. Uh, and uh, that was a long and complicated process from what I understand, various commissions. 
And to this day, Pakistan is the only country which has declared Muslim, uh, sorry, Ahmadis uh, as non-Muslims. So, as I said, there was a full proceedings um, in the Pakistan Assembly in which the Khalifa of the time, Khalifa al-Masih III, he presented the viewpoint of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And to this day, I believe that the government of Pakistan hasn't released the full proceedings of that case. I think certain aspects have been released, but not the full. So uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has uh, released the memorandum that was presented, but it would be useful to know what the full I mean, I discussion believe was. If you have, because uh, I have read parts of the Mazarnama, as we mm, call it, mm. uh, and uh, what your thoughts are and how it, this thing was handled, because. Uh, uh, Azur was outstanding. Well, of course, he was our Khalifa and he was bound to be, but even independent people say, don't they, the way the, the whole aura, the way he used to walk in and the way people responded. But it was a kangaroo court, as we say, wasn't it? Uh, mm. in, in many ways, the way you said. Yes. What are your thoughts? <coughs> uh? No, um, um, it was very much like a kangaroo court. The prosecutor was not uh, a learned scholar himself, yet he was posing questions about religion and about faith. And as you mentioned, the, His Holiness um, uh, conducted himself very well and very effectively. And he, he had uh, a number of scholars with him as well. To, so the, the interesting thing is, ju just to um, point out, that the, the proceedings yeah. have in fact been released. So uh, uh, a Canadian lawyer, Bashir Ahmed, um, he put in a Freedom of Information request. And oh, that's interesting. So apart from the booklet we produced, there's another... So the entire oh. proceedings have been released. Mm. I mean, I've read them. I mean, uh, the, the, you can uh, obtain oh. a copy of them. The remarkable thing when you read that, um, mm. Yaya Bukhtiar, who was the Attorney General of Pakistan, yeah. who was leading the prosecution, as mm. it were, mm. um, when Huzur and his um, party uh, would leave the proceedings, mm. what they said and spoke after Azur had left mm. is also recorded and in that Yaya Bakhtar who is a an excellent lawyer he would admonish the Malvis and said to them I mean people like um, Nurani people like Mufti Mahmood and then he would say you are the ones who wanted this yes and now you have an opportunity and you are not giving if Mirza Nasir Ahmad is able to answer all your questions because they were complaining you, you you let him get off the hook and he said well actually I am relying upon you to give me information. So, for instance, they would quote and say, in this book, Ahmadiyya book, um, it says this. So, for instance, on page 94, mm. um, there is this, and this is scandalous. The next day, Huzur would appear, and he said, I've got the book. This is only a 70-page book. And there would be, you know, and Yaya Bukhtiar would be furious with these bodies and said, well, what's going on? And they say, oh, I don't know, we, we've made a mistake or whatever. <laughs> and that happened repeatedly again and again. So even, like I said, it, it's no longer secret. You can read it. And when you read it, you're astonished um, by the level of intellect and the fact that how measured Huzur was. And each and every point he would say, yeah, fine, you're quoting from a book. I'll bring the book tomorrow. Um, sometimes they had the book and sometimes during the session, he said, you've mentioned this book, and, you know, Molly Dost was also there, Mirza Tahir Ahmed Saab was also part of that, and they would immediately sort of hand the book and say, this is wrong, the, the quote is wrong. 
It's quite amazing when you listen to some of the YouTube uh, people. You know, they're all blaming each other. That I said this, and you couldn't even defend against yeah. Mr. Asaf, and I presented it this way, yeah, and yeah. you were coward, and it's, it's, it's pretty useless. I think it's also interesting, also something that you mentioned before about the opponents, how actually impressed they were. Yeah. Uh, they even acknowledged that the Khalifa Hazrat Mr. Nasser Ahmed, how eloquent he was. And uh, even they were surprised when the court ruled in their favour. As Walida said, it was obviously all predetermined. He also had a glow, don't you think? You know, Azur, I remember when he came to Bradford as a youngster when I met him first time. Honestly, I mean, m many of our prominent non-Amdi friends who came to see him, they just, they didn't know enough about him, but just the glow on his face, they just used to say... Oh, yeah. So, a quick anecdote on that. Mm -hmm. When Azur walked in, mm -hmm. the entire assembly stood up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They all stood up, yeah. including... They couldn't, they couldn't help and then it. They sat down, and on that day's session, at the end of the session, they complained to Yaya Bukhtia because uh, he invited Huzur to sit down and said, take a seat. Yeah. And they were furious. They said, why, why didn't you ensure that he remained standing? And Yaya Bukhtia, he turns to them, he says, why did you stand up? <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah, because, yeah, and, yeah. and I think the, you know, in Urdu they say Nurani Chera. Yeah, that's mm. the he word. He had yeah, a, yeah. such <coughs> a Nurani Chera yeah. that even the opponents automatically felt we're in the presence of somebody yeah. uh, very holy and they stood up. But Azul was amazing. I mean, the guidance he gave the community through such a difficult yeah. period and the patience that the community showed as well. And by the grace of Allah, the community continued to grow, continued to spread in every way. And then sadly, we, you know, he passed away and Rabe was elected as the caliph. And again, he was very vibrant in all his speeches, if you remember, I remember the very earliest days. And he knew that things were getting hotter and things were brewing. And Ziaul Haq by that stage was now um, in position of uh, power. So Munir, probably your best place to take us through that traumatic period. Uh, um, just tell us the early stages before the ordinance, tw ordinance 20, wasn't it? It was Ordinance 20, mm. um, but I, I think it's also important to remember that what happened to Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, who actually stood up and, and said, that I have solved the 90-year uh, problem. Um, his end was that he was arrested, he was deposed by Ziaul Haq, uh, and he ended up on the gallows and was hung. Uh, and that was the end of... Um, uh, Zulfikar uh, who thought that he had solved the 90-year yeah. problem. And even s um, most of his family as well, his children, m three of them at least have ended in very yes. uh, tragic yeah, circumstances. Uh, yeah, Benazir, Murtaza, Shanawaz, they, they, they all died uh, violent deaths. Because Azur's guidance was pray to Allah, Allah will answer our prayers Always. and inshallah you saw what and, was happening. And do not re yeah. retaliate. But sadly, you know, pharaohs arise at different stages and different phases of human development and this general Ziaul Haq uh, he came. Ziaulak, well, uh, I mean, uh, again, uh, an autocrat, a, di a dictator. Um, he came into power at that time. The Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan, um, and the U.S. wanted Ziaulak to become this champion of Islam. And I think maybe some of that went to his head. He also had his own, um, you know, sycophants around him. I think that, that that's where not only was the Muslim world at fault in what yes. they were doing to us, but also the Western world. I, I think you know, sacrificed, mm. don't you think? I, I would agree totally. Yeah. Because That's they, how you carry on. Yeah. I mean, he was a dictator. Right. I mean, if, if you believe in 
um, democracy, then you don't, don't support a dictator. But yeah, nevertheless, yeah, yeah. Uh, they supported him and they supported him massively. Um, and I think also the tragedy was that when he turned on the Jamaat in 1984, yeah. when he decided to issue ordinance, or the infamous Ordinance 20, in which they banned us from essentially calling ourselves Muslims, saying assalamu alaikum, and perhaps the, the, one of the most painful things was not being able to perform azan, mm. uh, which w was also a catalyst for, for Hazur to leave, because Hazur basically said, if I cannot practice and be the, a Muslim in front of uh, you know, my congregation, mm. then I cannot stay here. I have to be able to uh, you know, perform the, the rituals of namaz uh, in a public way. And that's why he left, not because he was fearful of ziyad. I don't think that, that well, was certainly not the issue. But I think, Walid, you were a youngster like me in those days, yes. you know, in 84, I was mm. just finishing my PhD, as I remember, and I know you were very much in the forefront of Khudamul Gamdia, yeah. and that period, uh, just even the way, just describe how Azur left, that was quite miraculous how he left uh, on the KLM plane and then mm. his arrival. Just take us through that period. No, it was a very traumatic period for us, uh, for the whole community. Um, Zur uh, arrived, I mean, we got uh, a message, I remember, uh, to turn up at the Lala Mosque. We do not know why. And uh, we later found that Hazur um, had arrived, and this was what the situation was. Uh, and um, uh, I remember that uh, when I say that it was a, a very dramatic period for us, it was a very um, painful as well. Painful, mournful period for us. Yeah. Um, because we did not know what the future held for us. You know, uh, it was as if, um, you know, we had been uprooted or a center had been uprooted. Uh, but if you, uh, even his arrival was quite miraculous, wasn't it? Yes, was, uh, the way uh, he managed to escape, because yeah, I had plans to <laughs> actually capture uh, the Khalifa. Just take us through uh, that. Uh, as as I believe, uh, obviously, the, the, the military of his government got wind that Hazur was leaving and had issued an arrest warrant. But um, I believe that the arrest warrant was for Mirza Nasir, Nasir. The, the third Khalifa. So Hazur was using, uh, as, as, as Minister have said, he wasn't running away or hiding in any way. He, he left uh, Rubwa to go to, I believe, Islamabad. And uh, he was driving uh, in a car sitting in the front seat, I believe. And he's, I remember him telling uh, uh, people about this incident, that when he was driving through some towns and villages, Ahmadis couldn't believe that Azul was sitting in the front seat of a car and driving through. So in no way he was, he was hiding. He used his own passport. And uh, by the grace of Allah, using his own passport, he, he was able... He didn't change his attire either. He wore a turban. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, full so, title. So he was not hiding in, in any way. It's important. Yeah. Very prominent. Yeah. 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 Not hiding not in, in any way. Not hiding in any way. In any way. And uh, by the grace of Allah, uh, even though uh, all the airport security were told to look out for him, and to detain him as soon as they found him. I think he was stopped for a while, but I think the individual um, thought that the arrest warrant was for Mirza Nasir Ahmed. Yeah. And so Hazur left on his own passport and was able to come so to the UK. So was it your dad, uh, the Imam at uh, that stage, or was it uh, Rashid? No, no, no. I think uh, Chodhiyan Vakal It was Imam Rashid Sahib. Oh, Rashid Sahib. The they they yeah, received Hazur yeah. at the airport. The Amir, yes, yeah. yes, yes. They were told... Again, take us, because you lived very much in the neighborhood of uh, the London Mosque. Uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, it, it was a remarkable event. I mean, the fact that he left, we had no prior knowledge that he was leaving. And um, as, as you both have said, uh, the, the, 
the, the, the manner in which he left and the fact that he left, that in itself was a miracle uh, in, in itself. It was the exit control list, the ECL, um, that had a name and it said Mirza Nasir Ahmed and the immigration officer kept looking at it and said well the passport says Mirza Tahir Ahmed <laughs> the ECL says Mirza Nasir Ahmed uh, and so he allowed him to board that KLM flight um, and Hazur arrived here and Was a phone call also made? From I think that was late when they got it to the airport when they rang that uh, so The phone call was also made but wasn't picked up or something I well, think it was late after Because after Hazur was Hazur in the flight already, already, already gone. So they did try mm. because but it, it was a case of somebody saying well, if you want to wake up somebody, a so and so general, yeah. to double check this, mm. then it's up to you. And that junior officer decided, well, no, I've, I'm covered. It says. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, a, it was an amazing, miraculous mm. incident. Mm. But, Valid, coming back to yourself, um, that period, though, transformed our lives, though, don't you think? No, to, to have Khilafat in the UK, I mean, we were all going through our formative years and developing and learning. But for me, it changed my life totally, and I know you'll agree. It, it, for all of us, Munir, yeah. uh, well, just to take us through uh, that period and the thing, no, the initiatives uh, Azul's uh, launched, yeah. it was just amazing. No, it was a complete transformation as it is from uh, night to day, really. Um, uh, I, we were we were very pedestrian in in our activities. I remember we. Uh, used to find it difficult to organize more than a single event mm. uh, a year or and uh, now we're having multiple events uh, taking place he completely transformed us and one of the uh, one of the ways he did that was through his question answer sessions I mean we were absolutely uh, uh, you know s uh, spellbound by those I mean they, they were uh, historic sessions. and there's so many things we could go through Manir, you know in the way he transformed the community in the UK and globally uh, as well and I was just trying to make the link you know that there were the Pakistanis thinking that this is the end of Ahmadiyat and Ziya thinking this is the end of Ahmadiyat and look what Allah Ta'ala had in plan for the community and for our beloved Caliph and for the rest of us as well in many ways uh, to be honest I mean uh, when I sat uh, in that marquee yesterday and I saw everything around me oh, it was so inspirational so amazing and as I said you know when Azur announced yesterday 217,000 new Amdis joining the community and every year the community is growing by the grace of Allah mm -hmm. so I, th I think um, you know that gives the listeners some background of uh, um, the importance of the international bed and also the importance of Khilafat being here uh, and how the persecution in Pakistan actually led to such a great blessing for the community. It's probably best to uh, stop here because I'm sure colleagues have got uh, presentations coming uh, uh, along. So I want to thank you all, Munir. Thank you for coming in and My sharing pleasure. your Just thoughts with us. It's always great to have your uh, expertise in terms of both your law and the you know, uh, the, the knowledge of the community. Arif, like, once again, J thank Jazakala, you for joining us. And uh, Waleed, I know you've had a double session. Yes. So, um, Waleed, so you definitely yeah, deserve really. a, a good rest. So that's all from us all. Enjoy the rest of the programs of The Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.